the Gospel of John. I'll be reading verses 48 through 59. The Gospel of John chapter 8, verses 48 through 59. Hear the word of God. Then the Jews answered and said to him, Do we not say rightly that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father, and you dishonor me. And I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks and judges. Most assuredly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he shall never see death. Then the Jews said to him, Now we know that you have a demon. Abraham is dead, and the prophets, and you say, If anyone keeps my word, he shall never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham, who is dead, and the prophets are dead? Who do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answered, If I honor myself, my honor is nothing. It is my Father who honors me, of whom you say that he is your God. Yet you have not known him, but I know him. And if I say I do not know him, I shall be a liar like you. But I do know him and keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. Then the Jews said to him, You are not yet 50 years old, and have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, Most assuredly I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Then they took up stones to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple, going through the midst of them, and so he passed. Amen. So far in this chapter, we've just seen this this escalation of hostility towards Jesus. This isn't the first time, of course, that they've tried to uh, kill Jesus in this gospel. Many times they've tried to lay hands on him, at least two other times already. But here the, the controversy with the Jews is escalating and growing progressively worse as they interact with each other, as they go back and forth, and back and forth. And of course, this all started by Jesus declaring to them that he was the light of the world. He was calling them out of the darkness of their sin, out of the darkness of their rebellion, and into the light of life. He was offering them eternal life, and they took offense. And it was even those who believed as he continued to press them, not because he wanted to offend the crowds. This, this was not his intention. I listened to one sermon this week, and I think that was the title. And uh, I think the pastor got it wrong. 
That's not his purpose. His purpose is not intentionally to offend. He's not trying to be offensive. But his words offend those who refuse to believe in him. There's a confrontation that happens when Jesus speaks the truth. And we see it here. Look at the insult they hurl at Jesus. Now, of course, this is, if you remember from last week, in verse 47... Jesus says to them, He who is of God hears God's words. Therefore, you do not hear because you are not of God. He's telling them, if you believe in me, you will have eternal life. You you will have it. It will be yours. But the reason you don't hear is because you're not God's children. And in retort, in response back to Jesus, listen to what they say. Here you have an offense, their offense, and then Jesus gives them an offer. Their offense against Jesus, and then you have Jesus' offer to them. Look at the offense. Then the Jews answered and said to him, Do we not rightly say that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? What does this mean? Of course the demon part we understand, but why would they call him a Samaritan? Remember what the Samaritan woman said in John 4, 9? How is it that you being a Jew ask a drink of me, a Samaritan woman? And then John adds this little explanation there. He says, for Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Samaritans were um, considered pagan unbelievers. They didn't know God. They didn't worship God rightly. They didn't worship God in the right place. They didn't even have the entire word of God. They had the Samaritan Pentateuch that they used. They're accusing Jesus, in essence, of being just a... You are not a legitimate son of Israel. Abraham's not your father. Not only is Abraham not your father, God's not your father because you're demon-possessed. So it really is... Um, a double insult. But this was, was common. This was common throughout the gospel. This is not the first time that they do this. Look at, well, you, I'll, I'll read these. John 7.20, the people answered and said, you have a demon. In John 7.52, they say, John 7, 52. Now we know that you have a demon. John 10, 20. And many of them said to him, He has a demon and is mad. Why do you listen to him? They said these things, of course, in an attempt to accuse him of sin. Remember, in the same context, he said to them, Which of you accuse me of sin? Nobody's, nobody raised their hand. So then what we'll do is we'll condemn his words. We don't want to accept his word. We do not want to abide in his word. We do not want to hold to Jesus' words. So what we'll do is we'll say that what he's teaching is demonic. These words that we hear are the words of a demon, is what they're saying to him. They dishonor Jesus. L- listen to this. This is from John 9, 
we'll get into, I don't know, we're not going to get into John 9 next week, but we'll still be in John 8. I'll try. In John 9, 24, they say this. They, so, and they're speaking to the man that Jesus healed who was blind. They say, so they again called the man who was blind and said to him, give God the glory, which means say the truth. Uh, This was a Jewish expression that was used commonly. Uh, Joshua uses it with Achan. He says, give God the glory, my son. Tell me what you've done, which means tell me the truth. So the Jews are saying, tell us the truth. We know that this man is a sinner. They want the man to say something like, well, he's demon-possessed and he has powers to give sight to the blind because the devil helps him. We know this man, they have no accusation. They have no substantial accusation to make against Jesus. So what do they say? He's a demon. They dishonor Jesus when they should love Jesus. He just finished saying that. If God was your father, he would love me. And their rage against him, it it heightens. They hate him all the more. In verse 47, he says to them, He who is of God hears God's words, therefore you do not hear because you are not of God. Their response should have been humility in the presence of the Son of God. They should have been humbled. They should have said to Jesus, Okay, we don't understand your words. How, how, could, how do I grow in my understanding of what you're saying? Because it's, I'm not receiving your words. I don't understand what you're trying to tell me. It should have been humility. Rebellious and impetuous children is what they are. And they refuse to listen and reflect upon the words of Christ and to make proper application. And that is the great difficulty that many have even today when they hear the words of Jesus. They are rebellious and impatient and they refuse to listen and reflect and take proper personal account of themselves and then apply the word of God to themselves. There's a refusal to do it. Yet Jesus was sent into this world with this particular purpose in mind. Listen to the words of Isaiah 53.3. You know, because a a man, there's a saying, a man can only take so many insults. At some point, you would think that he would just say, forget these. All right, bye. Let's pack up and, and go somewhere else, you know. Paul does it. In the book of Acts, right? What does he do? Shakes off his cloak and says, all right, I'm going to the Gentiles. But Jesus continues to press on. We saw it um, in one of the servant psalms this morning. He set his face like a flint, right? And he continued, and he trusted himself in God, and he knew that God would vindicate him. But in Isaiah 54, 53, 4, we hear this, another one of those Psalms about God's servant. He is despised and rejected by men. This plan could not have been hidden from the Son of God. Jesus knew that it was the reason why he came into this world 
was because humans were rebellious. They are rebellious against him. And that they would act in rebellion. He would be despised, count, counted as a reprehensible person. And he would be rejected by people. This is what's happening here. The Isaiah 53 is being fulfilled. And it is fulfilled in you when you refuse to receive the Son of God, to listen to his words and to apply them to yourselves. He was to be a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. He is a Samaritan and has a demon. And that's what happens today when Jesus is uh, completely disregarded, disrespected. And, and you do it when you don't take his word seriously. You see, we think that, uh, by, uh, that, that we can be neutral. Now, I'm not saying that the man has a Samaritan and he has a demon. I'm not on that side. I'm over here and I just don't want to listen to him. I don't think his words are, you know, should be the rock upon which my life is built. That's the problem I have. I don't think he's a Samaritan and he has a demon. I just refuse to hear his words. That's all. Now, as Christian people, uh, we when we experience any kind of pushback from unbelievers, we think to ourselves, I must be saying something wrong. You know, all my neighbors should like me. I'm a Christian, right? Maybe I should be less pushy. Maybe the pastor shouldn't be so, you know, so direct. Maybe he should use an indirect approach. You know, Mr. Rogers was the nicest man in the world and everybody loves him and he was indirect. You know, he used the indirect approach. But remember what Jesus says to his disciples. It is not enough for a disciple to be like his teacher and a servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more will they call those of his household? Bigots, racists, whatever, fascists, I don't know, whatever else, right? Intolerable people with your standards, how can it be? And you know, um, uh, the thing that men fear most today, and I mean biological men, biological men fear, and I'm not using that generally for men and women because I, I want to address the men directly here. The thing men fear most today is what other people think. How worthless is another person's opinion? Does Jesus get mad, you know, pick up rocks and start throwing it out? I'm the son of God. What do you think, you know? <laughs> Don't hold me back, Peter. I'm going to knock his teeth out. Does Jesus do that? He doesn't even, he doesn't even bother him. It really does not bother him. He, he just takes one of the offenses. So we shouldn't be surprised. Look, when you speak the truth in love, I'm not talking about being disrespectful to people. It's not what I'm talking about. Or using derogatory language or inflammatory language. I'm talking about speaking the truth and love and saying to people, if you do not believe 
is that Jesus is the Christ, you will die in your sins. That's a, that's a loving thing to say to someone. That is not mean, disrespectful, dishonoring, not at all. It is right, it is good, it is pure, that is uh, loving to say to someone. When people return and say to you, you know, that's really intolerant, or it's disrespectful, or I'm a Muslim, or a Jew, or a Catholic, or, um, you know, it, maybe they have a, some kind of a false conversion, and you're saying to them, look, Christians ought not to live that way. And they say, who are you to talk to me like that? I'm under grace. It's not that you're unloving. It's that they're responding to you the way that they responded to your master. Count it all joy. And when, you, when you're brought into those sufferings, the sufferings of Christ, the sufferings that he experienced, whether corporately as a church or individually as a believer, count it all joy. You know, when people in this area discover that we're actually here, they will start to say things like, you know that guy's crazy, right? Well, I don't know why you go there. You know, those people from Florida, they don't even wear masks down there. <laughs> they don't have an Excelsior pass to go to Publix. Um, the, it, it will happen. It, it will absolutely happen. And when it happens, count it all joy. When they say it to you and when they say it about other people in your church. Look at, look at how Jesus responds. He says to them, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. Most assuredly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my words, he shall never see death. I, I, I want to start there because well, G, Jesus, they insult him and he offers them the gospel. <laughs> the uh, contrary to the way that we would tend to act. I'm not saying that, that it, uh, it's contrary to the way that we should act as Christians, but if we're honest with ourselves, in the heat of a discussion, maybe you're reviled by somebody, you may not do it, but your immediate inclination is to try to defend yourself. Jesus immediately, what does he do? He offers them more grace. Listen to what he says to them. Most assuredly, I say to you, verily, verily, as, as frank and as honest as I can be, if you keep my words, if you believe them, if you remain in them, if you abide in my teaching, if you believe it, if you contemplate it, if you make personal application to the words that I'm saying to you, you shall never see death. What an amazing promise. What an amazing promise. They say, in essence, the Holy Son of God is a demon-possessed Samaritan. And Jesus says, I don't have a demon. I'm not trying to get praise for myself. There is one who demands it, and he is the judge. This is very similar to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians. He says, let, let a man so consider us. This is in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Very similar to what he says. Uh, 1 Corinthians 4.1. Let a man so consider us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. That's the way that Paul says you ought to consider him as an apostle and those who do ministry with him. Moreover, it is required of a steward that one be found faithful. 
Right? This is a requirement because a, a, uh, this language of being a steward is the language of a household owner, a husbandman. Right? And the husbandman has charge over things. Right, And you can tell if he's a good husbandman by the way that he takes care of those things that are placed under him. And Paul and the apostles, they have been given this, they are stewards of the mysteries of God. The gospel he preaches in essence. So he says this. They must be found faithful. They must be faithful men. Godly. Upright. They don't talk out of you know, both sides of their mouth. But with me it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by a human court. Your judgments upon me mean absolutely nothing. Now, this, again, right, you have to put these kinds of statements in the context, you know. <clears throat> he, is, he is talking about living a life that is pleasing to God and commendable to men. And if that offends you, I don't care. Paul says, I don't even judge myself. For I know of nothing against myself, yet I'm not justified by this. I don't think I'm doing anything wrong, Paul says. But that's not where my justification comes from. I might be doing something wrong. But he who judges me is the Lord. And that's what Jesus says. He said, Jesus says a, a, something a little different. Be, but it, it, it's along the same lines. Uh, listen to his words again. There is one who demands it, who demands that I be praised. And he is the one who judges. So it doesn't matter to me. I don't demand it. Why? Because he was sent into the world to be a servant. He responds submissively. And, his teach, and he refuses to avenge himself with insults as he teaches the word of God. That should be our character. That is the way that we should handle ourselves as Christians. We should have no reason to retaliate, to uh, turn to verbal assaults. Our Savior didn't do it. He had no need to do it. Uh, uh, Thomas Aquinas, he said this, There is one who seeks, that is, the Father. For we read, You have crowned him with glory and honor, Psalm 8, referring to Christ. And in another place, glory and beauty shall you lay upon him, Psalm 20, verse 6. And that's what Jesus lived for. He lived for the honor. We saw it again in our Bible study in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 11. He, he lived to honor his father. So what men had to say to him was, meant nothing to him. It meant absolutely nothing to him. And frequently in this gospel, he makes reference to this. When uh, speaking of Lazarus, in John 8, he says this, sickness, this sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, God's going to be glorified by this, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. And listen to the connection in these verses. The, the Father sends the Son into the world, and the Father is the one who bestows glory upon the Son. And when the Son receives glory, the Father is glorified. 
These men refuse to give glory to the Son, therefore, therefore they will be judged for refusing to glorify Him, for refusing to esteem Him the way that we ought to esteem Him. Listen to it again in John 13, 31 through 32. John 13, 31 through 32. So when he had gone out, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. And he's, he's about to be crucified. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him immediately. There is a lot of glory going on in, in those verses. Why? Because um, there is this interaction between the persons, right? The Son is sent into the world to give glory to the Father. As He uh, gives glory to the Father, the Father gives glory to Him. And the more glory the Father receives from the Son, the more glory the Son receives. And if we want to glorify God, we must glorify His Son, and if we refuse to glorify His Son, we will be judged. God will stand and judge us. Christ will stand and judge us on that great day. There are other places in John. John 14, 13. John 17, 4. Many other places. But particularly important is um, the, uh, the Old Testament. Because God promised that he would send his son, yes, to suffer, but that his son would be glorified. This is the purpose of Christ coming into the world. And I think that it is a distinct mark of this present age that the church suffers, and through suffering, and, and of course that suffering is personal suffering. Right? We deal with many great personal difficulties uh, so personal sufferings, corporate sufferings, and persecutions. So there's a lot of suffering. But in that suffering, as we suffer as God's people, and our focus in that suffering is to give glory to God by honoring His Son, by living lives that are pleasing to Him, God is glorified in the world. He gave His Son for this distinct purpose. L listen, listen to this servant song, Isaiah 49. Listen, O coastlands, to me, and take heed, you peoples from afar. So this, this is the servant of the Lord, and he is talking now. And he's not talking to just the Jews. He's talking to far-off places. The Lord has called me from the womb, from the matrix of my mother, he has made mention of my name. This is another one of those texts that speaks to the very issue we were talking about in Sunday school is the incarnation and the virgin birth. He has made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand, he has hidden me and made me a polished shaft. In his quiver, he has hidden me. This is his, this is God's secret weapon. 
What a tremendous way to describe Jesus. He said to me, the Father says to the Son, You are my servant, O Israel, in whom I will be glorified. Note that, that's important. The Father calls his Son Israel. Remember those Old Testament passages, right? Israel is my son, so on, so forth. And here, the, the Messiah, the servant of the Lord, is called Israel. You are my servant, O Israel, in whom I will be glorified. Then I said, I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing and in vain, yet surely just my just reward is with the Lord and my work with my God. These are the words of the Messiah. What does he say? I have labored and it seems like, right? I'm, I'm not getting through to these Jews. I'm saying to them, if you believe my words, you will have eternal life. And they say, he has, he's a Samaritan and he has a demon. Yeah, he says, my work is with God. My glory is with God. He is the one who will vindicate me. And now the Lord says, who formed me from the womb to be his servant. And now this is why this Israel is different from the nation of Israel. Look at what he's called to do. And now the Lord says, who formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring back Jacob to him, so that Israel is gathered to him. There he's talking about the nation. For I shall be glorious in the eyes of the Lord, and my God shall be my strength. What, what was he called to do? He was called to gather these men, this nation, these people to himself. Why? Because in God's sight, he is glorious. Those who can't see it, they don't have eyes to see you cannot see the glory of the sun. And now the Lord says, who formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring, back, to bring Jacob back to him, so that Israel is gathered to him. For I shall be glorious in the eyes of the Lord, and my God shall be my strength. Indeed, he says, God says this. So God, uh, and this is probably not exactly how it happens, but God is talking to Jesus and he's saying, boy, what are we going to do, you know? These Jews, <laughs> there's something else. Uh, the only way that they can be saved is if you enter the world to die for their sins. Jesus is like, I'm, I'm going to, well, the son, he's not Jesus yet. The son says to the father, I'll, I'll do that. And then the father says to himself, I don't think that's enough. You're, you, you are too glorious of a person. And he says, it is too small a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved ones of Israel. That's too little a job for you. To save a nation? I'm going to give you to the entire world to be the savior of the world. That's what I'm going to do. I will also give you as a light to the Gentiles so that you should be my salvation to the ends of the earth. In the middle of Kerhunson or Warsing, when the gospel is preached, God is allowing us to behold the glory of his son. And he is saying to people, worship him. Come, I'm, I'm inviting you to behold this one who is so glorious that he is glorious in the eyes of God. 
the Father. Glorifies his son. Why? Because his son is glorious. And what he does, what the, what the father does, this is one aspect of our redemption that we don't think about much. What the father does is the father rejoices in the son. There's this particular glory about the son because of he's God. And the father says to sinners, look, rejoice with me in this. Behold him. Behold the blessed Trinity. Behold my blessed Son. Not only behold the blessed Son, but behold Him in His incarnation, in His humility, in His willingness to die for the sins of men. Behold Him there. Look to Him and glorify Him. Indeed, He says, it is too small a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved ones of Israel. I will give you as a light to the Gentiles. What does He say in John 8? I am the light of the world, not just Israel, the entire world. That you should be my salvation to the ends of the earth. Thus says the Lord, the Redeemer of Israel, their Holy One to whom. To him whom man despises. To him whom the nations abhor. The servant of rulers. Kings shall see and rise. Uh, so, right? now, man despises him. Now, today, right? Now, the nations abhor him. But th- there are places where you can't take Bibles. You can take a Quran wherever you want. Do whatever you want with it. You know? There are places, countries, where you, you can't walk into the country with the Bible. If they catch you with your little Gideon's New Testament psalm, they'll put you in jail or send you back. But, but, but listen, there, there's going to be a time where, listen to what's going to happen. Men despise him. Nations abhor him. But there's going to come a time, kings shall see and arise, and princes shall also worship. Because the Lord who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel, has chosen you. There's going to be a time, and I think ultimately what this is a reference to is the last judgment. Where there will be no excuse. There's going to be no excuse. There's going to come a day when men will not be able to say, I didn't understand the Bible. They will have to confess, Jesus is Lord. Some gigantic angel will grab them by the back of their neck, slam them to the ground, and crush it out of their lungs. It's coming. It is coming, and it is frightening for some. But for those who believe, that's glorious, because that's what we want. We glorify him now imperfectly, then perfectly. We'll see him as he is. There'll be no veil. Thus says the Lord, in an acceptable time I have heard you, and in the day of salvation I have helped you. I will preserve you and give you as a covenant to the people to restore the earth, to cause them to inherit the desolate heritages, that you may say to the prisoners, go forth. What does he say to them here? You're not free. If you believe the Son, you're free. And they say, oh, we've never been enslaved. And Jesus says, I've come to set you free. I I am Israel. I am the son of God. I've come into this world to liberate men. 
That's what he comes for. The desolate places will be restored. The prisoners set free. He's going to say to them, go forth. Those who are in darkness, show yourselves. I am the light of the world. This is exactly what Jesus is doing, and they reject him. Calvin writes, he says, there are voices sounding from heaven, screaming, kiss the sun. That's what you should do. Kiss the son. Do obeisance to him. Obey him. Worship. Reverence. Serve him with all of your heart. When you hear his words, the disposition of your heart should be, um, these are hard words, but I want to believe them. I want to do what they say. God, enable me. Let me see his glory so that I respond in like manner. There is one who seeks and saves. <clears throat> Sometimes, well, let me, uh, how about this? We'll stop there, okay? Uh, we, we, will stop, we will stop there because Jesus now, he turns and he preaches, he preaches the gospel. Gloriously, openly invites them to believe and um, I'll leave you with those words. For those of us who are here who are Christians, this should really fill our hearts with joy. When we hear Jesus say these things, if anyone keeps my words, he shall never see death. Never. We will, we will never... Uh, um, so I, I said this earlier. We use this language. We say so-and-so died. He died in 1981, 82, or whatever. He died. But Christians don't die. I'm not going to die. I'm not going to die. I will never die. I will wake up one day in heaven. And Jesus is going to be there. He's going to be waiting for me. Right? And a whole bunch of other people that I want to meet, they're all going to be there. And Jesus is offering this freely to everyone who believes in him. Believe in the Son, and he will set you free indeed. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for giving us your Son. Help us to be a people that glorify you in him. Help us to do this by your spirit. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.